Good morning, everyone. It really is good to see you all. And uh, also, just from my side, as uh, my name is Craig, and I have the joy of serving as an elder here at Riverside. And I can say here because we're the church gathered. And uh, just a warm welcome. And if it is also your first time, again, I just it's great to see you. And a welcome to all of you who are joining online. It is a good day today. And uh, my heart is full of joy, and I hope yours is too. As we get together in person, we get to worship. And uh, just it's been a long time. And uh, I just well done on enduring this season. And uh, we are trusting that we're going to get back to normality. And I know it's been hard for many of you. But we have the joy of gathering here on this very important day as we celebrate Jesus' victory, his rising from the dead. The historical, physical resurrection of Jesus is what we remember today. But more than that, how that gets to intersect with my daily life. As much as we remember the historical reality, the physical reality and what that means for you and for me, the significant implications of that, they, they impact my life daily. It's like this uh, beautiful collision that happens with this wonderful truth that hits my life day after day as I get to live in the reality of Jesus having conquered sin, death, and the grave. Friday was a significant day for us as we focus in on his death, the death that I should have died, and how I received his mercy instead of judgment as Jesus died on that cross. And then three days later, is done for the tomb as Jesus walks out in triumphant victory. The grave death could not hold him and this is such a joy for us as we celebrate and are going to focus in on what those daily results of that victory mean for you and for me. If you know me, you know that um, I enjoy winning. Because winning is ultimately a much better feeling than losing. And uh, in a game, it's nothing wrong with losing. Because, you know, if you're playing a game of some kind, one team or someone has to be the loser. And that is okay, but we always prefer if we could choose to be the one winning, right? Well, I do at least. And I coached sport for many years, uh, particularly rugby. And obviously the goal in every single game is that you prepare to win. And you get onto the field and everybody is trying their best to win. But for me, the best kind of wins, the wins that we enjoyed the most, uh, that were spoken about the most, were the, the kind of surprise wins, the one where we maybe didn't really deserve to win. It was a better team. We were down. Uh, there were a couple of games as a rugby coach where uh, we were in the final kind of few moves of the game. We didn't have possession. Somehow, miraculously, we get the ball. Uh, the guys do what they practice, and, and somehow we find ourselves after the full-time, scoring and, and winning from behind. If your favorite sports team have, have done that and you've watched those games, we cheer the loudest. We really get excited when that kind of a win happens. And this is something interesting about what we celebrate with Jesus' death on the cross. 
I want you to turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Because what we're going to see is uh, while we celebrate and we understand some of the things that happened with Jesus' death on the cross, there are some maybe some surprise elements to the victory that we might not be aware of, which we are going to cover a bit this morning. So Colossians chapter 2, and I want you to find verse 13. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, and read with me. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So there is a whole lot going on in this passage of Scripture. And in fact, on this particular passage, uh, there's some stuff that you might just immediately understand. But uh, Martin Luther, looking at this passage, uh, seeming at the apparent defeat of Jesus at the hands of Satan, reflects on Isaiah 45, which says, Truly you are God who hides yourself, O God of Israel, our Savior. And, and what the point that he's already drawing to this passage is there's something going on here that, that's more than what just meets the eye. There's something maybe a little more in the victory of Jesus that we might be aware of. So let's cover what we, what we do know. So verse 13 and 14, Steve preached so well about that on Friday, how Jesus dealt with our sin, how we were dead in our sin, but made us alive in Christ, how we are restored back to God's intended best for our lives and what he accomplished. But then it goes into some interesting language where it talks about how our legal indebtedness has been canceled, that which stood against us and condemned us. And then Jesus or the writer saying, Paul saying, and then having disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle out of them with his triumph on the cross. Now, Immediately, there's something a little bit ironic in that. Because Jesus is the one that is being made the public spectacle, right? Jesus is the one that has just been arrested, beaten. He's been uh, tortured. He's been stripped naked and mocked in public. He's had his beard torn out. And he was the one that was executed publicly with everybody kind of hurling insults and, and curses at him. He's the one that's being made the apparent public spectacle. Yet the irony in this passage is going, actually, hang on. He's making a public spectacle out of what the verse says, rulers and authorities. So what's going on here? And this is a powerful truth as we understand some of the victory of Jesus that we are celebrating today. So I want to quickly run through some, some things here for us. And the first is the term rulers and authorities in the passage says, Jesus made a public spectacle out of the rulers and authorities. So who are they? I don't want to get sidetracked, so I just want to run through the whole of Scripture very quickly, going from beginning to end in, a, in, a, in about 30 seconds. So some things we know 
is that there was an angel called Lucifer who wanted to be like God. Sin cannot be in his presence, so God removed him from his presence and cast him down to earth, taking with him about a third of the angels. We then start to see throughout Scripture that there are forces opposing the work of God. There's some random scriptures in the Old Testament where you see something like the archangel Michael was opposed by the prince of Persia. There seems to be a spiritual force trying to oppose some of God's servants. We know in the New Testament, Peter writes and he talks about how our enemy, the devil, uh, Satan, Lucifer, prowls around like a lion seeking to devour. Again, we're told of other scripture where uh, Paul writes in Ephesians telling us our battle is not against flesh and blood. And these words come up again, but against rulers and authorities and spiritual powers and principalities that have set themselves up against the work of God. And we need to be aware of these things. And so the fact is that there is running alongside this uh, forces at play here on earth that are opposed and opposing God, our enemy, led by Satan. And so when we see some of this imagery coming up, the language that comes with it is that we are enemies of God before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are slaves to sin. And the idea is that we are captives held by the enemy now you might start to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay because we need to see here what's happening. Now you start to understand a little bit when Jesus in his first public address says, I have come to set the captives free. That part of the work of Jesus was to remove us out of the enemy's hands, to take us out of captivity from sin and being held by the enemy. See what it says here. And if you're making notes, uh, here's a scripture that you must write down to reflect on in the week. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 to 9 starts to um, expound on that a bit more and pick it up. Again, Paul writing, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or for the rulers of this age, there's that term coming up again, referring to uh, those who oppose the work of God, those spiritual forces, says the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that was hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. So here again, we're seeing uh, this, uh, this term, the rulers and authorities of this age, of this world, referring to those spiritual uh, forces opposed to the work of God. What I love so much is speaking about this hidden mystery at play that if they were aware of the wisdom of God in that moment, they would never have crucified Jesus. So what I, I, I love 
here is, and just try um, visualize this with me. On one part of the story with one set of lenses, we see what's happening in the physical space. Here is Jesus uh, arrested by Roman soldiers, crucified and killed at the hands of those gods who crucified him. We see that happening. We know that from a historical point of view. There's another lens that we put on, which is maybe a more spiritual one, where we see how the forces of evil, Satan and his minions, who are at work thinking that they have won something. We know that uh, they influenced Judas and tempted him with a bag of coins to betray Jesus. They're kind of triumphing, celebrating, witnessing what was happening to Jesus. But they didn't see the hidden mission that was hidden from them, this mystery of God, which if they had known, they would never have done it. Let me uh, maybe draw from a contemporary illustration that I find so powerful, and it comes from C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. This imagery is so incredibly powerful, and he captures this so well. In The Chronicles of Narnia, especially The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there is uh, the witch, and she has lured in young Edward, and she holds him captive. The only way for Edward to go free is for Aslan to trade places with him and to die in his place. And the imagery is so powerful. You've got Aslan's camp, and then you've got the witch's camp with all her forces. And if you've read the book or seen the movie, Regal Aslan walks into the camp of the enemy, and they are whooping and hollering and cheering because they have Aslan. They mock him, they bind him up, they tie him down, they shave off his mane in shame and humiliation. And again, drawing from that, those verses in Colossians, making a public spectacle of him as they are laughing and making fun of the great Aslan. And there's this moment as the witch takes the knife and drives it into his heart. And they think they have won. They are celebrating like they have done it. And then Aslan rises again. And as he says to the kids, but there was a deeper power at play here. One that no one knows about, one of old. And that image of Jesus Christ, this mystery that while he died in my place for my sin, in that moment when he canceled my legal debt, the enemy lost all his power over my life. I was in the enemy's camp. I was held captive there by my sin. And when Jesus paid for my sin, he defeated my enemy and I walk free from him. We celebrate our sin being paid for, our sin being forgiven. But today we also celebrate the defeat of our enemy and our freedom from captivity to sin. 
That's the public spectacle. That was the irony of Jesus on the cross, hanging naked and ashamed after being humiliated and tortured. As he died for my sin, the enemy realized he was forever defeated and lost his hold over my life and your life when we leave his camp and walk into the open arms of Jesus. I am forever free from any claim that the enemy had on my life because Jesus is my victory. And I celebrate that today. And that has a hold and implication on my life every single day. There's a kid's game that we play. You might have played it at one point in your life. A game called Capture the Flag. Such a great game. Probably the best game for large crowds. Very easy. Two teams, fields divided in half. In the corner, there's a flag. Corner, there's a flag. And you've got to get into the enemy's territory, get the flag and bring it back to your side. But if you are caught, you wound up or you land up in jail. And what happens is uh, you, you generally get caught. And so there's a whole lot of people who are stuck in jail. The only way to get out is if some brave person from your team runs into enemy territory, makes it past the guards and gets into jail, everyone's freedom when that happens. There is a mass group of people running to get safely back into their territory. And I love that image because when somebody gets in and sets them free, you just run to your new, back to your base, back to your side where you're safe. Again, you can, can see the imagery. Jesus comes into the enemy's camp and he sets us free. And so we leave and we get to go back to Jesus. No longer in captivity. But now, Craig, what does this mean? And, and this, is, this is where I said like the gospel and the victory of Jesus intersects and collides with my life every single day. Friday, it's amazing. We love to talk about how Jesus died for my sin. We celebrate that. Then we, we get to today and we celebrate, but he's risen. My Savior is alive. But in between those two moments is possibly one of the hardest things we have to do as humans is actually admit and vocalize that I actually have sin that Jesus died for. And that I actually have to talk it to Jesus to say, Jesus, yes, you died for that sin of mine. You actually have saved me and rescued me out of that. And I need your forgiveness. And I do repent. I do trust you. You are my savior. We often have this disconnect from the truth that we celebrate and the reality that's going on in my life. One of the big reasons for that is the work of the enemy who's trying to keep us in captivity. Trying to remind us every single day, actually, you know what? You are just a useless, filthy sinner. Of course, Jesus isn't going to forgive you. Why would Jesus forgive someone who looks at pornography? Why would Jesus forgive someone who's always angry? Now, why would Jesus forgive you? Look at what you've done. And so we keep ourselves in this place of living in our sin and our shame. Hearing rather the lies of the enemy who's trying to hold us captive by lies 
because he has lost power over us because Jesus defeated him. And the reality for me and the reality is for you that with Jesus making a public spectacle of them, I no longer live in the shame of anything I've done in my past. I no longer need to try and bury my sin and hide it, but can freely come to Jesus and actually voice the words, Jesus, I did this and I sinned against you. And you died for that sin. Jesus, you died for my anger. Jesus, you died for my lust. Jesus, you died for my addictions. Jesus, you died for my pride. Jesus, you died for my financial, deliberate financial mismanagement. And I don't have to feel ashamed to admit that out loud. Because my Savior, being made a public spectacle, as He became sin, made a public spectacle of all of those who would hold me in that sin, who would want to condemn me for that sin, who would want to bring that up time and time again and remind me of what I did and who I was. And because of that, I freely come to Jesus every single day celebrating his grace, celebrating his mercy every day. And the enemy loves to have a field day. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know just how much you're battling to let go of some of the things in your past, how you struggle to live the full life that Jesus has for you because you keep reminding yourself and keep getting reminded of what you did, what was done to you, how you are not good enough. But that's just the lies of a defeated enemy who wants to hold you captive and not have you living every single day in the reality of what the death and resurrection of Jesus means. Jesus is our victor. In him, we have complete victory over the enemy who would keep us captive. And I'm so grateful for this. And I really want to try and help you take this moment, this historic uh, day that we celebrate the magnificent resurrection of Jesus and see how this intersects every single day, every single moment of your life. And some of the big realities of this is that you and I can have complete breakthrough of sin. That if you are struggling still as a Christian and you would say, you know what, Craig, I'm not living the life that God intended for me. I'm well aware of how much I fall short and how much I struggle every single day. Well, one of the realities is, is that you can trust the victory of Jesus and, and start to break free from that. And I'm just going to preempt you that um, we would love to spend time praying uh, with any of you um, who, as a result of what you've been hearing, want to experience the victory of Jesus in your life. That if you are struggling with sin, that you feel like you can't get free from it, I'm going to trust that you encounter the victory of Jesus who set you free from that. And I'll just after the, the song that we're going to sing in a few minutes, 
that I'll, I'll just share with you how to facilitate that and how people are going to connect with you and pray with you around that. This morning, you can experience and encounter the victory of Jesus in your continual sin. He's beaten the enemy. He has won. And so you have the victory. If there are any of you that are feeling ashamed, that you feel like I can't even talk, the words can't even form in my mouth because of how ashamed I am of my past, that is the lies of the enemy who is keeping you captive because he wants you to feel ashamed where he was the one made the public spectacle because Jesus was ashamed in your place. That sin has been paid for in full by Jesus and we never have to be ashamed of the things we have done. He stands with open arms and he forgives those who call on his name. He turns no one away. And so if you feel ashamed by what was done to you or what you have done, that's a lie. And we can come to Jesus safely and securely and say, Jesus, I confess and I want you as my Savior. There is nothing holding us back from that. Just lies. And I really want to encourage you to finally maybe feel that you can go, okay, I no longer have to feel ashamed, but I can come and trust Jesus with what I've done or what's been done to me. And I'm going to trust Him anew or even for the first time with my life. And it means that we can recover so quickly as believers. I understand that this season is hard. I understand that I'm not seeing the people that gave me strength for my Christian walk as often as I used to. I understand that some of you are feeling quite isolated and are struggling with faith and just what, what all of this time away from other believers has meant. And it might have been a bad season for you. This might be the first Sunday that you've engaged in a very long time. And you would go, well, I'm actually quite disappointed maybe in what my life has looked like and some of the things I've done. Jesus forgives. And because of what he has done, we can come again to him today and confess that and just celebrate and enjoy what the resurrection means for my life right now, how I can engage with my Savior. Band, uh, why don't you come up? We're going to sing a song again. We're going to sing one of the songs we sang earlier, Amazing Grace. But the chorus in there, my chains are gone. I've been set free. And so this morning, I want you to feel that you can step into God's freedom. When the band is finished singing, use this time to... Uh, just maybe prepare your hearts to come and engage with someone in prayer. When the song's done, um, I'll come up and pray. There's coffee and tea under the lapa over there. And you can just enjoy some refreshments there and, and the company of everyone here. But if you want to encounter the Lord this morning, if you're wanting prayer over victory, over sin, over issues of shame, and just... Uh, re-engaging with the Lord, then you come to this open space here and our ministry team will come and meet you and appropriately pray with you and, and, and just lead you in encountering the Lord. But don't miss this opportunity to take something that we celebrate every year and not see how it has very real implications for where my life is at right now. So Jesus, I'm just so thankful for who you are and what you've done. 
Jesus, I am so thankful that you defeated my enemy who has no hold on me anymore. You've defeated sin, but you destroyed the enemy. I don't have to live in shame anymore. Sin has no hold on me. You defeated that. You paid the full price. And I can live in that freedom every single day. And Jesus, I just want to pray for anyone that is gathered here this morning and who's gauging online, Jesus, who is battling, feeling that they are trapped, held in their sin. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just engage with them right now, helping to take this truth and remind them that they have been set free, that you have broken the power of sin, that you have forgiven, and you forgive freely without judgment because you stood in judgment. And because there's no judgment, there is no shame. So you took our shame as well. And so for anybody that is battling with the shame of their sin, that you would also, Holy Spirit, just minister to them. That maybe today for the first time we'd have people letting go of their shame and embracing the fullness of your forgiveness and your victory, Jesus. And so we trust you for that this morning in your holy name. Amen.